A seance has been held in the great house, a seance which has suspended time and space and sent one woman on an uncertain and frightening journey into the past, back to the year 1795. But in the past, as in the future, old house or new and for all time to come, there is always terror at Collinwood. Welcome to Episode 7 of Terror at Collinwood. I am your hostess, Danielle Galerter, a.k.a. Penny Dreadful. And just a couple of things before we dive into today's show. I am in the process of moving, so there's going to be one more episode after this one, and then uh, there's going to be a, a, a gap. And I will be back once I get settled into my new place and get established there, get the Wi-Fi going and all of that, and I'll be back with some more exciting spectral guests for you. So hang tight, and Terror at Collinwood will return after these messages. And also, at last, we've been hearing about it for a while, and the trailer just dropped on the anniversary of Dark Shadows, the 27th. The Jonathan Frid documentary is coming in October. It's being released on October 5th from MPI Media Group. It's coming out on Blu-ray, DVD, and digital. Definitely keep an eye out for it. I will link to the trailer in the show notes for the YouTube version of this episode of the podcast. So it's Dark Shadows and Beyond the Jonathan Frid story. So stay tuned for that. Also, check out the Terror at Collinwood blog at terroratcollinwood, all one word, dot com. Terroratcollinwood.com. There is a post there that I posted on the 27th. Uh, Eric Marshall, who you heard in episode two, a good friend of mine and uh, guest co-host here at Terror at Collinwood, and also brilliant artist and writer, created some incredible artwork that you have to check out. I think any Dark Shadows fan or any Saturday morning cartoon fan would really enjoy looking at this artwork. I wrote up an article and Eric just, he created these amazing pieces of artwork. So check it out, terroratcollinwood.com click on the blog section, grab a bowl of cereal, and just scroll on down, because it's a good time. And now, on with the show. My guest today is Dominique Lamses. She is a relapsed goth who is obsessed with dead people in all their forms. She was born and raised in Portland, Oregon, but has a problem with itchy feet that has taken her to places such as New Orleans, Boston, Ukraine, and Japan. She believes in horror as anthropology and clothing with copious amounts of velvet. Oh, hell yes. She blogs <laughs> at the University of the Bazaar.wordpress.com and is also the head necromancer at Etsy.com forward slash shop forward slash house of silent graves, aka where the plush tinglers come from. She hopes her stories remind you of Mario Bava films. She hopes Saint Ed Wood blesses and keeps all of you. That's very thoughtful. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Dominique's Etsy store is amazing. I was uh, looking through it and I love all of the items there. She has like stuffed plush dolls from uh, the likes of the Tingler, the Crawling Eye, It Conquered the World, and uh, unique creations as well. I was just telling her before we started recording that I love Imhotep the Bunny Mummy, which is so cute. It's awesome. It, it is actually... <laughs> It is actually Imhoptep. Oh, Imhoptep. Oh, I am sorry. Uh, see, I am so sorry. Imhoptep. I'm yes. Imhoptep. Of course, of course. Of course it is. Uh, welcome to the show, Dominique. I, yeah, thank you. Thank you for I'm having me. 
delighted to have you here. Um, I heard you on uh, Derek's Monster Kid Radio podcast, which is a wonderful podcast. And if you yes, haven't, yes, if you haven't listened to it, please absolutely check it out. I've heard Dominique on Derek's podcast and I heard her talking about Dark Shadows and I could hear the enthusiasm and love in her voice for Dark Shadows. And I said, I absolutely have to reach out to Dominique and ask her to uh, to be on Tara Collinwood with me because I knew we would have a lot of fun geeking out about Dark Shadows. So before we do that, though, Dominique, tell us about your your Etsy store and your WordPress site. So for, let's talk about your WordPress blog first. What is what's that all about? Um, the sort of subtitle of the blog is that I think too much about dead people so you don't have to. <laughs> because it's basically my head goes to really weird places and you will find that out by the end of the episode because I'm going to end up talking about some off the wall stuff that most people probably wouldn't think about when they think dark shadows. <laughs> um, but I guess apparently I learned recently that apparently this is actually a big Marxist thing that when you look at art, you see like social issues and stuff. Mm -hmm. I didn't know this was a thing, but it's what I've always done. Um, because like I said, horror is anthropology. It reflects when and where it's made, even if it doesn't mean to, even the stupidest horror movie says something about the period in which it's made. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, for me, that, that, that is what is interesting. I mean, I like the dead people. And again, as you're going to hear later, I love pretty clothes. That's going to come up a lot. But to me, that's sort of figuring out what the horror says about people and about society. That is what is interesting to me. And that is where the blog came from. Wonderful. Um, and it's, uh, you, you cover a lot of different topics. I was just uh, looking at, you had some articles on there about Carnival of Souls. You had uh, Ingrid Pitt is a favorite of yours, I can see. Um, and you did some a, a review write up of Kong versus Godzilla or Godzilla versus Kong. I keep switching the two because of the, <laughs> the original and the new ones. So, yeah. Uh, I think we all know it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and you also have this uh, Etsy store. So talk about that. How did uh, how did that come about? Um, OK, the House of Silent Graves is the house the Tingler made. Um, I saw the Tingler. I just fell in love with it. And I thought because I love like the stupider looking the monster is, the more I love it. <laughs> And I saw the Tingler and I was like, I want a Tingler. I'm going to find a Tingler. And I went online and I was looking for a toy or a reproduction. And I found one limited edition one that was like 400 bucks that mm -hmm. came out 10 years ago. And I'm like, well, I can't afford that. And it's just kind of a plastic toy. I wouldn't pay that much for it anyway. So I know how to sew. I'm just going to make it. So I made it. And then everybody was like, well, make me a Tingler. I want a Tingler. And then my dad in his typical fashion was like, well, you should make money doing that. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I started the shop and then like, cause for crafting people, once you take that first step, like it, it's done, you're doing it for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. So it's like the tangler. And then it was like, Oh, well, who did I make next? I can't remember who I make, who I made next, but yeah. And then like, I always thought I wanted a Beulah, the pickle monster from it. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna make it. So I made it and I get, I've gotten some requests for some of them, like uh, Night of the Leap is bunnies. Someone oh, at a convention yeah. told me they <laughs> wanted those. We're sold out of those right now. The other one that we're currently sold out of is uh, the big one actually for me is Mothra. Oh, Mothra. Yeah. yeah. Um, I do make a Mothra. Mm -hmm. um, and that again, that was something for me because there's no Mothras out there. You can mm -hmm. find a plush every other kaiju. You can't find a plush Mothra. That's surprising. I, I'm. Uh, you would think, you know, because he's such a major, or she's such a major character in the in the kaiju world. You know, to not have a Mothra is kind of strange. It is very strange. I actually have a stuffed Baragon. Oh, but wow. there's no stuffed Mothra. 
weird. So, yeah, I like, yeah, it was, yeah, it was weird. So I was just like, I'm just gonna yeah. make it. Yeah. So that, yeah. that's sort of where that came from. Just, I want this, yeah. nobody's doing it. So I'm gonna right. do it. Do you, do you have, uh, do you get tables at cons to, to sell them as well? Or is it just through the Etsy store? Or? Um, the past couple of years at Monster Bash, I piggybacked on the Monster Kid radio table. Oh, awesome. <laughs> um, Cause it was me and Tracy Stanchfield Morris from yeah. We Belong Stuffed. Yeah. We sort of um, went on the right. corner of Derek's table. I actually had intended to get one, a table at Monster Bash this year, but well. Well, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was, uh, I was considered because I heard from Ron Adams. I guess it was the year before he reached out to me to ask if we wanted to come, but I, I couldn't make it that year anyway, but I, I do miss Monster Bash. It's a really great time. Um, oh, I love Monster Bash, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so wonderful. Now, how did you get, now clearly you have a real passion for uh, the horror genre. What got you into this stuff? I came at it in a really weird way. I'm actually kind of a late bloomer when it comes to horror. Mm -hmm. um, okay, because for me, the weird kind of the weird thing is I don't like being scared. I know a lot of people like they like horror because they like that adrenaline rush. They like the jolt. I don't. Mm -hmm. um, for me, it's purely an aesthetic thing. Yeah. I like the way it looks. I like the way it feels. And when I was tiny, I had a traumatic experience with the movie Poltergeist. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, because I was tiny and I watched that and it just scared me like forever. Yeah. Um, the weird thing was when I was about 10, I became completely obsessed with real life ghost stories. Now, in my head, because it's real life, it's not scary. But mm -hmm. the movies, which were fake, were scary. <laughs> I have no idea how that worked in my head, but that's how it went. Um, so I, so a lot of times, like I will look at stuff from an occult perspective, even now, because I mm -hmm. got really into like the like weird arcane magic -y stuff before I actually got into horror. Mm -hmm. um, and there was always, there was things like Scooby-Doo, you know, I love Scooby-Doo. My parents, like my dad is the sci-fi guy and my mom is the fantasy guy or the not guy, but um, fantasy yeah. person. Yeah. Um, so like, I always had that kind of around and there was like weird monsters and creatures so for mm -hmm. me, they were just kind of normal and they were never really scary. And then actually it was in college. And when I was in college, I discovered Hammer. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, Hammer was the place where I started because I also uh, in a family of Anglophiles. So mm -hmm. if it's British, it's better. So of course I was drawn to Hammer. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the the first movies I Hammer movies I discovered were Peter Cushing and Oh yeah. <laughs> Peter Cushing is the love of my life. I'm oh, fairly certain uh, in my last life I was Helen Cushing. <laughs> That's how much I love Peter. So, awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And from there it was done. And it so I had a lot of backtracking to do. <laughs> um. But yeah. And I just yeah. and I've always been a fan of like cheese ball stuff. So like I say, I always love stupid monsters and like, yeah, this, the lower the bed, the budget, the better. <laughs> awesome. So how did this interest in horror, how did that segue into dark shadows? Was that all part of it or was that, did that come along later or? Actually. Okay. Cause there was like a little Island. Um, cause I got into the, like the, the supernatural occulty stuff. And then there was kind of this lull where I didn't care. Uh -huh. And then about the time I was like 15, 13 to 15, I discovered Anne Rice. Okay. So suppose, yeah. Cause for some reason, Anne Rice doesn't register in my head as horror, even though it is absolutely like horror. Sure. I don't know why. Gothic, um, Gothic horror. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and of course I'm, I'm a 15 year old girl. So, oh my God, vampires. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
but I actually watched the revival because for me, um, the introduction was the revival. Oh, okay. the 90, the 91 yes. series with Ben Cross. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. And yeah. I watched that on TV um, when it first came out and I just dug it and I dug it. And me and my best friend, Katrina, we, we just dug it and we loved it and mm -hmm. we thought it was great. And um, Katrina's mom was an OG Dark Shadows fan. Mm hmm. And my grandmother was actually an OG Dark Shadows fan. Oh, so awesome. they're both like, okay, if, if you like that, you got to watch this show. Well, there's two problems with that. Um, it was 91. Um, it wasn't showing anywhere because it was before, right before they started showing it on sci-fi. And we were both from dirt poor families. Mm -hmm. So the VHSs were not happening. Yeah, those were um, expensive too. I remember. Yes, and there was a lot of them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So basically what we did was we ran around and we played Dark Shadows and we made our own stories. Oh, I love it. Oh, that's and great. She, she was she was Josette. I was Angelique, of course. Yeah. Um, of course. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, so and yeah, so it was this, there was this weird kind of lull because like MPI used to do they might still do it, probably not in the age of the internet, but it was a little catalog of just their Dark Shadow stuff. I remember those. Yeah, I still have some of those. Yeah. And I, I ordered them. I knew they existed. So I wrote to them and said I wanted one. And I did that for like three or four years and they sent them to me. And so they had the nice pictures in them and they had all the merchandise that you could order in the back too. And the thing is, they listed the plot summaries of each of the volumes, mm -hmm. volume by volume and the entire thing. Yeah. And so... For a long time, I had actually never seen any of the 60s show, but I could list the plots and the order and who did what based on those catalogs. Oh, that's great. That's awesome. <laughs> um, and then we got we got a little bit of money and we got cable because um, mm -hmm. my dad had always wanted cable. So we can actually mm -hmm. afford it. We're getting cable. And I saw um, the first I saw the 1795 portion first because that mm -hmm. was where they were on the sci fi channel when we got it. And then um, I think they took it off. It was right before they stopped showing it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so I really only saw, I didn't even see the entire 1795 portion okay. at that point. Mm -hmm. I only saw it, saw it recently. And then there was a big lull and there's, there's stuff. Um, Cause right now I got the big box set and I'm actually doing the, from episode one watch through um, mm -hmm. right now I am on I, the dream curse just ended and we're about halfway through the Adam plot line. Okay. Okay. And for me, the dream curse and Adam, this is all new. This is like, Ooh, this is cool. I didn't know yeah. any of this stuff. Uh -huh. Um, and then later there was a blockbuster video and the guy there was like super good. The guy who owned it was super good about ordering like stuff that people wanted. And apparently there was someone else in the area who was a huge dark shadows fan because the MPI video started showing up. And yeah, cause it, it was really, it was a weird, a weird arrangement. Cause there's like, of course, volume one where Barnabas is introduced. Yep. And then there was like volume 10 and then volume 25. Oh. And for, I think the person who requested it really liked, okay, I get the parallel time ones mixed up, but it was the one with Aristide and Count Petrofi and like Magda. Oh, it was uh, 1897. Yeah. 1897. Eight Whoever yeah. it was really liked that one. Cause that was the full plot line of that. Okay. And okay. I've seen that. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um. And yeah. And then there was yeah. kind of this lull where I couldn't get a hold of it. And then right. about you, yeah, go ahead. You were able to, to sort of uh, follow along the, or you understood, you know, even though there were gaps because you had the, the MPI write-ups, right. From, from yes, the catalog. Exactly. So I knew what yeah. I missed. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Yeah, that kind of happened with me with what well, like I talked about in the first episode when I we you know my uncle was getting the tapes 
copies of them from syndication, like these like fourth generation copies. And then it ended also in the middle of like toward the end of 1795, actually, before Vicky comes back to the to the present. And um, a couple of years later, my scrapbook Memories of Dark Shadows came out and I was able to kind of fill in the gap by reading the plot synopsis in that book. And I was like, oh, that's, okay. you know, that's how she got back to, to the present, you know, because yeah. it's like, because then when they started showing it, like there was like a UHF channel that started showing it mm-hmm. and it was in the middle of the Adam story. And I was like, so I missed that chunk there in between. So it's, it's nice that there were at least ways to kind of fill in, fill in the blanks there. Yeah. So, yeah. So you started renting those from Blockbuster, you said? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I've seen, I think most of 1897. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, because yeah, my, uh, like the, the two, the two characters for me are Angelique and Aristide. I am absolutely obsessed with Aristide. I love Aristide. Oh, Aristide is great. I love Michael Stroka. Oh, he I was, know. he was great. Yeah. And <laughs> I'm pretty him. sure it has at least something to do with the fact that he looks like Freddie Mercury. And I was just learning about Queen at the time as well. Yeah. He does bear some resemblance to him. It's true. And he has this sort of flamboyance of Freddie Mercury. Yes. Mercury. So it's like, oh yeah, you know, I could definitely see that totally. So. Um, now, was your interest in the in the occult and in the in the supernatural was that also uh, at that time when you were watching the show? Were you also sort of exploring that interest at the same time concurrently? Was that like kind of uh, um, yes? For it? me, that's a that's a lifelong thing. I still do it. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm fascinated by that stuff too. Like I don't practice, you know, uh, witchcraft or anything, but I am interested in reading about, you know, mysticism and and just the, the history of it and and different uh, stories about Aleister Crowley and all these different yeah. things. It's, it's, it's fascinating. Okay, so you watched 1795 first, which is appropriate because that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to dive into the 1795 storyline, which. Yay. Yay. <laughs> Which uh, for, you know, 1795 storyline is what if, if I were going to pick like three essential storylines for Dark Shadows that like everybody should watch all of Dark Shadows. But uh, yeah. 1795 is one of the big three, I think, for it's the introduction of Barnabas, 1795 and also 1897, yeah. as we were talking about yeah. earlier. So you get the Barnabas, uh, Angelique and Quentin kind of triumvirate happening there. And 1795 is such an iconic storyline. Uh, there are mm-hmm. It's so many firsts happening here uh, with with this storyline. It was groundbreaking. I mean, in many ways, for the first time ever, I believe uh, you get a full blown origin story for a vampire, uh, like Varney yep. the Vampire. There were some hints. There, they did talk a bit about his background, but it's Dark Shadows really had a sustained backstory for Barnabas's origin, mm-hmm. uh, and they. It's also a groundbreaking in that they took the entire cast. They went into the past, cast the same actors in new roles. And we had Dark Shadows then became a show that used time travel. It became a show that heavily uh, used time travel after this. This was uh, a big deal. And it introduced the character of Angelique. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the legends of, of Dark Shadows, I believe Danny Horn uh, in his Dark Shadows Everyday blog calls them the kaiju of Dark Shadows. And she is, <laughs> she is oh, one of the- Oh, that's brilliant. And yeah, it's true. It totally is. Yeah. It's Barnabas, Angelique, Quentin, and Quentin. Julia. Yeah, yeah. He includes Julia too. Uh, but yeah, uh, Angelique. So 
let's let's talk about this. They've kind of painted themselves into a corner with the Barnabas storyline at this point. Barnabas is right. uh, Maggie has been hypnotized by Julia. Barnabas has turned his attention to Vicky. Sarah has started to appear to other people. Barnabas's secret, basically, David has figured out what Barnabas is thanks mm-hmm. to, to hanging out with the ghost of Sarah. David is very troubled. Nobody really believes him uh, except Dr. Woodard, who's now dead. So they have this seance to contact Sarah. And during the seance, something happens. Time, there's a shift in time and Vicky is thrown back into the past to see how it all happened. I remember the first time I saw this, I was like, my jaw hit the floor. I was like, Vicky is standing, the old house, daytime, it's colorful. And mm-hmm. in the middle of the daytime, here's Barnabas comes out of the house and greets Vicky. And he looked- And what is he wearing? Why is he wearing that? Yeah, yeah. He's wearing this old fashioned, uh, you know, costume. And then here's little Sarah comes running out. She's alive. And uh, we find out that Vicky has been thrust into 1795. And she encounters all of these new people with familiar faces. And it's very like, much like the Wizard of Oz, you know, where Dorothy's right. in Oz. And in fact, in the 91 series, they even, I think uh, Vicky even plays over the rainbow on her, her guitar at one point to uh, yeah. Daniel and Sarah. So what was your, when you first saw this storyline, uh, when you saw Vicky show up at the house and she's meeting all of these different characters, like what, what was your uh, feeling and reaction to that? Well, okay. Again, this is after I'd seen the revival. So mm-hmm. for me, it made perfect sense. Cause I'm like, okay. Oh, okay. This is where we are in the story, but like, okay. Cause I've always been the the little nerd who like loves history and stuff so for me this was just great because it was people in costumes and my grandparents were like colonial williamsburg antique collector people Mm -hmm. so for me it was just like oh yeah these are the people they hang out with this is the people they know Mm -hmm. (laughs) so it it just kind of wasn't like it was cool that i was seeing it on tv and not just like at some weirdo's backyard barbecue it was this (laughs) element of like oh okay this other other people do this okay (laughs) <laughs> that's, no, I, that's I great <laughs> uh, I, it's just it was such an interesting uh an interesting idea because we have vicky thrust into this into this world and of course you know vicky was the prota- was the protagonist of of the show and then she kind of got lost in the shuffle a little bit when barnabas was became a hit um so it's kind of nice that vicky is kind of put back into a more of a prominent she, I mean, she was always an important character, even when Barnabas yeah. became big, but it's kind of cool that Vicky is the sort of the audience identification character here, who, who's, yeah. you know, and that she's, yeah. uh, you know, of course, the famous line with Vicky is, oh, I don't understand. And I can see why she doesn't understand, because that's quite a pickle that she's found herself in there, yeah. you know? <laughs> quite a bit to understand here yeah exactly and so we see you know she she sees barnabas she also meets people like uh nathan forbes who's played by joel crothers who's always been the the boy next door kind of character of joe haskell and now he's this you know roguish kind of character you know term- okay that is that is one thing um because I know Dark Shadows is one of those shows where the women like to like look at the bad boys mm-hmm. and just yes. drool all over them. Um, totally, like, yes. Yeah, like, like Burke, you know, Burke, Burke. Devlin and stuff <laughs> yeah. like that. And see, my thing is, I, I hate Burke Devlin. Oh, I hate Burke Devlin. <laughs> oh, you um, don't like Burke? Yeah. No, I do not like Burke Devlin. And you know, Barnabas is great and all, 
But I remembered from watching it on the Sci-Fi Channel, and when I sat down to watch it, when I got the box set, I was like, "Give me Nathan Forbes. I don't care about any of these other guys. Give me Nathan Forbes because that is the guy I love to hate." Uh, oh my God, he, he's, he, he's such trash. He is the epitome of a love to hate character. He really yes. is, and he just gets worse and worse as it goes along. Like his his trajectory is just like. You know, he's sort of like that Jason McGuire type character. Like he's like, yes. he's fun to watch, but he's such a jerk that you just want him to get his comeuppance, you know? Yes. Like, and because like Dark Shadows does a very good job of making all their characters into like gray characters. Even yes. Angelique has like these back steps where she's like, whoa, what did I just do? Oh, But yeah. really the only character that Dark Shadows ever made that was a complete 100% monster was Nathan Forbes. He was a monster. He was yeah. horrible. Yeah, <laughs> he really was. I and you mean, get to the the end of the plot line with Naomi that I'm sure will spoil for people later. Like yeah. what happens with Naomi? Oh, yeah. oh my god! Oh, hideous! It's horrible! It's horrible! He just he gets he just gets he starts out as this like rogue who's like you know deserves to get a smack across the face, but by the end he you know he deserves yeah. to get throttled by Barnabas. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. And you mentioned Angelique, of course, she's, you know, it, you went, uh, well, you mentioned the, the gray area with Dark Shadows. And I think that's an important feature in Dark Shadows is it, it's definitely reflective, I think, of that time in, in the 60s, as we're going from the mid 60s into the late 60s and early 70s anti-heroes as the protagonists on a TV show because these characters all start as villains like the like Barnabas, Angelique, mm -hmm. Quentin and then they be and Julia they all become like the lead characters uh, of the show and Angelique as you pointed out you know there she eventually does sort of become an anti-hero too you know she's yeah. and, um and and a lot of, she winds up helping against like the bigger bad or yeah. whatever you know that comes and along there's <laughs> something that i noticed as, mm -hmm. as I'm pushing through the show yeah. and that dark shadows, what they do with their kid, with their villains is it, I've noticed like all their villains, they take them and they break them. Yeah. Willie was the first example I noticed of this oh, when Willie yeah. was introduced. I mean, he was, he was a monster when he yeah. was introduced. Oh, totally. And then he was, he basically what Barnabas did to him was what he did to somebody else. Exactly. And then he, he just, he, it broke his head and he realized, oh my God, I was horrible and yeah. it made him better. And yeah. they did it to a lesser extent to Julia and mm -hmm. 1795 is what does it to Barnabas. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's a real, that's an excellent observation. You're absolutely right. And that, that is how they, they introduced the character how they keep the characters but also just yeah it's it's it, it breaks yeah. the whole and as i'm thinking as i'm thinking ahead you know to two characters like quentin and then to jeb hawks and and mm -hmm. characters like that that's absolutely accurate you do see that as that is a definitely a recurring theme in in the show absolutely uh and the sort of the these outsider characters the supernatural characters sort of becoming the characters you follow as yeah. you as you go along um, but it's after that look at what you did rubbing your nose in at point. Yeah, definitely. And then, so we have, uh, as we go in, we, you know, we meet characters like Joshua, Louis Edmonds is Joshua Barnabas's father. And they're all, you can tell the actors are really like reinvigorated at this point because they're like, Absolutely. oh, I, I get to play the, these new characters and it, be, and it becomes a repertory company. It's yes. Dark Shadows is very much like live theater in, in many mm -hmm. re respects. And let's put on a, you know, a 22 minute play every single day uh, and play different characters and stuff. But we're introduced to this triangle of Barnabas, Angelique, and Josette. 
And we get yes. to see Josette too, because we've seen Josette only as, as a ghost prior to this, particularly in the pre-Barnabas episodes, we saw yes. jo- Josette and now we see jo- Josette alive. And Angelique, who is a character we had never heard of before. Now I knew about Angelique because my uncle was the one who introduced me to the show and he told me, oh, there's a witch, Angelique. And I was like really excited when she finally did show up. And right? oh my God, she did not, she was amazing. She's amazing. I mean, just such a compelling character who pulls all the strings here in this storyline you know she's just such a great character and is the root of so much of the dark shadows mythology in the in the storyline so we find out that barnabas had this affair with angelique and martin and in some respects of course, I don't think anybody deserves to get turned into one of the undead, but everybody's like, oh, Barnabas, you know, poor Barnabas. But he kind of, in a way, he kind of did okay. bring it on himself. He, he brought yes. it on himself. Like he, now, he, that he was kind of a jerk to Angelique, okay. you know? Yeah. Let's, uh, let's take a step back here and be completely honest about things. Cause you're right. Everybody's like, oh, poor Barnabas. Oh, he's such yeah. a victim. All right. He made this bet. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And I, Again, you know, threatening to kill somebody's sister because they won't marry you. I mean, that's psycho. I'm oh, not. I'm not oh, saying Angelique oh my was God. Here. Angelique was but, horrible. She was did monstrous things. <laughs> yeah. But there's a point where it's like, mm, I'm not going to yeah. fault her for saying, you know what? Consequences. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Especially you know? because, like, again, the whole point where they get married mm-hmm. and Barnabas is like, okay, okay, fine, I'll marry you. Why? Yeah. He knows he doesn't love her. He knows this is going to go badly. And they get mm-hmm. they get married. And that night he's like, oh, I'm going to run away with Josette. I'm like, really? Yeah. <laughs> really? Right. Right. Like, exactly. Like, you're, you're not you're not blameless here. Just Barn- stop, it's, stop complaining. It's like uh, Ma- Magda says in the 1897 storyline about Barnabas and Angelique. She goes, those two, they deserve each other. <laughs> Oh my God. They absolutely. <laughs> like, yep. They absolutely Nailed it. Do. Nailed it. A hundred percent. Yes. They're both, yes. you know, uh, out. Well, the, the thing about them is that neither of them know how to handle a situation in a normal, reasonable way. No, absolutely. They both just yes. fly off the handle. Exactly. Exactly. Perfect. Per- <laughs> yeah, that's, that's exactly it. And, poor, and then we have Josette who's Angelique is she's Josette's mate. Barnabas feels Josette is the love of his life. And of course this is a recurring theme and dark shadows as well that Barnabas Barnabas's obsession with Josette and finding his lost love Josette love eternal and yeah yeah uh, what are your thoughts on Josette okay here's where I will probably get some flack from mm-hmm. other dark shadows fans because I don't like Josette a lot of a lot of people are not huge fans okay, of Josette. I, I like Josette but um see here's the thing though okay mm-hmm. So the reason I don't like Josette is, okay, oh my God, she's so rich French people and she drives me nuts. She's a brat. She doesn't listen to anybody. She does whatever she wants. She thinks Mm. everything should be about her. She thinks everything revolves around her. Because in the beginning, when we first meet Barnabas, he's a puppy. He has yeah. no spine. He's just like, oh, yes, dear. Okay, dear. I'll do whatever you want, dear. And that is exactly the kind of man Josette needs. She needs somebody who's just going to be able, like, yes, my sweet, whatever you want, my sweet. Yeah, he's a very, he's very much a sort of a milk toast or Casper, the friendly ghost yes. type of, <laughs> very friendly, very sweet, you know, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but again, it's, it's actually, the funny thing is, it's Angelique who toughens him up. He finds a spine when she pops up and is like, well, I want this. And he's like, no. Right. Well, yeah, actually, after what he goes through with Angelique, 
uh, the you know the tragedy that then ensues does mm-hmm. for forge the Barnabas we know, uh, we know you know yeah. and that we we like to watch you know uh we like the tormented unpredictable Barnabas you know yeah. I don't think a, a, a series about the friendly uh Barnabas <laughs> would have lasted the friendly very... vampire yes exactly <laughs> you know we like we like the troubled uh Barnabas yeah. so uh but of course we have uh, Angelique so we have this triangle here with yeah. uh, and and Barnabas even you know he's attracted to Angelique he's drawn to her Clearly, when, yeah. when they're yeah when they're alone together in the room like they embrace you know he's mm-hmm. uh, he is attracted to, to Angelique but he uh now you brought up an interesting point about you know Josette being rich we have the countess you know and and uh uh, and Andre Dupre, we have Countess Natalie Dupre. So we have this rich family from Martinique who comes and then Angelique is their servant. Now you mentioned uh, about, you had talked to me briefly before we started about, you know, class struggle. Like, is that what you were looking at in terms of like Angelique and, and Ben too, you know, poor Ben, <laughs> who's like the anti-Matthew Morgan, like Ma- Ma- Matthew Morgan was the was the bad version yeah. of Ben. You know, we have mm-hmm. Ben who's kind of, you, you wind up lo- really liking Ben because he has kind of a heart of gold. At least I did. I, I think Ben has a, a good heart, you know, but he's, yes. you know, he's loyal, you know, and but yes. Angelique uses Ben to, to, to get things done, to help her accomplish her, her goals. Um, so talk a little bit about the, the class struggle idea here. So basically the, the entire Angelique thing is the entire storyline is class struggle with voodoo dolls. Um, what we've got, and there is, again, with the character of Ben, because I love Ben, but they do some, there's the class struggle issue there with him too, but it manifests differently. So we have this interesting intersection of classism and sexism mm-hmm. that goes on here. Cause like, okay, taking Ben first, um, there's also one point here that's interesting is it manifests in the costuming. Cause mm-hmm. if you notice Angelique tends to wear very drab colors and very plain dresses. And mm-hmm. there's one dress that she wears that she actually blends in with the walls. Wow. There's a, that little green dress and she blends yeah, in with the, interesting. This, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Because she's a servant, she's furniture. She's not mm-hmm. special. She's not supposed to be noticed. And both Ben and Riggs are dressed the same way. They tend to wear browns and leathers. So they kind of look like the wooden furniture. They just blend in. Mm-hmm. The thing with Ben is, and actually Ben, well, I really like Ben. Ben is an extraordinary character if you really think about it. Because mm-hmm. when we talk about why he's at Collinwood and why Joshua treats him the way he does, what they say is that he was arrested in Salem because yeah. he had fought in the Revolutionary War, had PTSD, and couldn't hold down a job. So he stole food to survive. Right, right. This is 1966, and they're talking about some guy having PTSD. And like having to steal to survive. Mm -hmm. And Joshua is like, well, he's still bad and he's still scum. And Barnabas is like, "Um, no, maybe he's a human being who should be treated like a human being. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to teach him to write. Yeah. And this is, I mean, just, oh my God, head exploding. That that is incredible. And, but the thing is, because that's allowing him to step above his station and become Mm -hmm. more than a prisoner and become a man. Then we get to Angelique. Angelique is a servant. Angelique is a servant to these snotty rich people. And we can talk about the Countess later because, oh my God, that is a character. (laughs) But because you notice essentially, because what really struck it for me is there's a moment where she's talking to Ben and she stole one of Josette's hats Mm -hmm. and she's trying it on. Yes. And Ben looks at her and says, well, you can have a nice hat, but you're never actually going to be a lady. And that just like, that just hit me right between the eyes. Cause I'm like, okay, this is the core of the plot line because mm-hmm. she doesn't want to be a servant anymore. Right. She wants to marry the man she loves, by the way, 
because there's accusations going around, particularly from Abigail, that she's just a schemer who wants the money. And mm -hmm. later Joshua brings this up and she doesn't. She loves Barnabas. It's just kind of a byproduct that she won't have to be a servant anymore. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, everybody's like, oh, my God, the woman needs to get back into her place. She's practicing witchcraft to get what she wants. I do believe that's part of the reason that the character is written kind of psycho mm -hmm. because she's being kind of an uppity woman. So uppity women do crazy things like threaten nine to kill nine year old girls. But where it really comes into focus is after she, when she and Barnabas are going to get married, Joshua pops up and he's like, I'm going to give you all this money if you go away. And Angelique, because there's this moment where Angelique is kind of, you have that much gold laying around? Really? You're going to give me that? And then she looks dead at him and she goes, nope, I'm marrying the man I love. And I'm like, thank yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then from that point on, there's the struggle of people like Josette and the Countess and Joshua who are like, no, you are a servant. You stay down. You don't get to marry up into us. You are nothing. Mm -hmm. And people like Naomi, who's very kind to her, who's like, you know what? Maybe I don't like this. Maybe I think there's something going on here. But Barnabas says this is what he wants. And I just want him to be happy. So let's do you do you. We're going to do this. And then like, because the other moment that got me was, again, Joshua and Angelique after Barnabas quote unquote dies. And Angelique is in the house and she's like, you know what? I like this house. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to have parties and I'm going to travel and it's going to be great. And Joshua is like, uh, no, here's all this money. Go away. It's <laughs> like, and she says at some point, I used to be a servant here. I know that. And he looks at her and he goes, oh, believe me, I have not forgotten that. And I'm just like, oh, yeah. and then the other moment, because one of the biggies too is also because Barnabas is sick and he's up in the attic and she's trying to save him because she knows he's, mm -hmm. she's cursed him. And then Josette and the Countess bust in and they're like, we want to see him. And okay. And she's like, no, no, you can't see him. He's too sick. Okay. Mm -hmm. And Josette's and Josette does what Josette does. And she's like, I don't care. I'm not leaving. I'm going to go see him. And she just busts into the house. And then the countess goes up and the countess is like, well, we're getting a doctor. And Angelique's like, um, can we not do that? And the countess is like, no, I'm doing a doctor because I'm going to do it. And I'm just mm -hmm. like, okay, first of all, this is not your house. This mm -hmm. is her house. She's the wife. She gets to say what's going on. Sure. Yeah. Have you forgotten that you're the ex-girlfriend? So this is doubly awkward. <laughs> <laughs> but it's that dynamic of you were a servant. And in my head, you will always be a servant. So I'm going to tell you what to do. Sure. Yeah. We're going to do it. And she just she can't claw her way out of that. Because right. I also think it's interesting that after the marriage, she like and after the curse, I mean, I understand that because after the marriage and then kind of it starts to die off that she uses her magic mm -hmm. and then after the curse she almost stops using the magic now she accidentally cursed the guy she loves so i kind of understand that that maybe you wouldn't want to do that anymore mm -hmm. but there's also this point where joshua comes around throwing around money and she suddenly is like oh well maybe i have to do what he says and i'm like you have magic You've been manipulating people from the beginning. There is no point in this entire plot line where you have not had the upper hand. Why are you backing down now? And the answer is because men are writing the plot. <laughs> I mean, I hate to say that, but I mean, men are writing the plot. And the woman has to go back into her place. because She was a servant and she's a woman and she can't get up well, and she, she can't have power. But ultimately, even after she's killed, a quote unquote, quote unquote killed. Kill 
she actually does come back into the into the plot and still throws a monkey wrench into into the proceedings with Vicky's witchcraft trial as well. Right. You know, so she's still she's still extreme. I think she's even perhaps even more powerful after. Oh, she's one thousand percent more powerful after. Her death. She, yeah. she returns uh, returns from the grave. Now I mentioned the witchcraft trial. Now of course the the whole I mean the whole seventeen ninety five storyline echoes or pulls inspiration from uh, Arthur Miller's The Crucible. Uh, but it isn't a direct adaptation like the Adam Adam storyline or the the Jaeger uh, Longworth storyline. They're like you know, they're doing yeah they're doing Frankenstein yeah they're doing Jekyll and Hyde. I think right. the Crucible stuff is sort of like how Dracula was. There was a lot of inspiration from Dracula and the Barnabas storyline, but it definitely wasn't like a direct adaptation of Dracula. There were echoes and inspirations from Dracula. Uh, Similarly, yeah, pieces, definitely. And similarly, we see this with the Crucible as well with, uh, you know, we have the the main antagonist of the Crucible is uh, Abigail, who is both like Angelique and like Abigail. There is even a character, Abigail, who's wonderful. uh, uh, Talk about a love to hate character. Another love to hate character. Oh my God. Clarice Blackburn is just- Blackbird. Oh, she's so, so good. She is wonderful. She's like, I mean, she, she, it's like she stepped right out of like, you know, that time period. You know, yes. She yes. really could have been someone during, uh, you know, the Salem witch trials who yes. testified, you know, and she calls, of course, upon the Reverend Trask, who is Trask. another, another great character, Jerry Lacey, the Reverend Trask, the fanatical Reverend Trask. So we have this whole other dynamic happening. And of course, Angela leak she's framing vicky for she's like oh they think there's a witch which they're actually if you think about it abigail was right about everything except the fact that it was angelique and not vicky <laughs> because yeah. everything abigail said was true like there was a witch it was, was absolutely <laughs> and there was there was the point where um it, abigail pulls aside angelique and they're talking and then abigail kind of gives her this double look and mm-hmm. she says to angelique you're either a witch or a schemer i don't know which yet and yeah. then she seems to have forgotten that right afterwards i'm like oh you're so close. <laughs> <laughs> Missed it by yeah. that much. You know, she's, um, uh, uh, but she's also one of these people who's so, we all know people like this, you know, there's, she's so judgy and so holier than thou that you just like, oh, you're awful. You're awful. Yes. Even though you're, you're actually right about everything. And of course she's, you know, blaming the wrong person. Yeah. Um, and, um, so we have Angelique casts uh, a spell to cause Jeremiah, who we didn't mention either. Jeremiah, mm-hmm. who's mentioned geez, right away. I mean, I think in the first few episodes of the series. At least episode two, because I think it was like episode two where they mentioned Josette for the first time. Yeah, so they would have yeah. had to have mentioned Jeremiah. Yeah, yeah. So we see Jeremiah in the flesh here, uh, and it's uh, Anthony George who was the recast Burke Devlin. Yeah. It was Mitch Ryan, then it was Anthony George. Um, but so he's, I thought he was a much better Jeremiah than Burke. Uh, I preferred Mitch Ryan to to uh, Anthony George as, as Burke Devlin. Yeah, I just, I can't see Mitchell Ryan in the period clothes. As no. Burke, he was good, but yeah, putting him in period clothes. Mm. It would have been a very different take on the character, yes. I think, for absolutely. Yeah, uh, much I think much more hard edged kind of kind of take on the yeah character. because Jeremiah was a very gentle character and I yes. don't think Mitchell Ryan would have done particularly good with that right and we see you know uh, Angelique cast the spell she causes Jeremiah and Josette to fall in love with each other we see the, the brand of the pitchfork on their hands which <laughs> was you'll see that again too it's kind of fun that like, sometimes the writers forget things but then sometimes they'll remember something three years later and it's like oh my god they're doing the pitchfork thing on the hand they didn't forget about that yeah because I just saw 
saw the the dream curse and she does it to professor stokes and i'm like oh, oh my yes, god that's right she when is did, that gonna yeah. come up again i'm like yes yeah. it's gonna be it's gonna be oh you want me to tell you yeah it's uh th- during the uh leviathan storyline okay she's gonna cast a love spell again and it's gonna do the, sa- the same brand is going to show up again I was oh, like, that's oh, awesome. okay. yeah yeah <laughs> so <laughs> so we have uh we have this they run off with each other barnabas uh of course you know when he finds out that they're married it's a great scene when you know when he challenges jeremiah to a duel after this takes place he kills jeremiah i mean the, now we're off to the races uh jeremiah dies and angelina then raises Jeremiah as yeah. uh, you from the dead in that great yes. scene where the hand comes out of the grave. And I remember when I first saw that, that freaked me out when I was a kid. And I saw that, that hand coming out of the grave and reaching yeah. out and Josette and uh, Naomi are there. So cool. Now, I always, you know, I've seen people say, oh, that's a zombie or, or a I, I believe it's supposed to be a revenant because he had some zombie-like characteristics and some ghost-like characteristics, but the revenant archetype for, for the undead is sort of more sort of a generic kind of undead, but that seems to be the closest supernatural creature that he seems to be anyway. Uh, but it's such a cool visual, you know, with the with the bandages around his head and, and all the of that. The makeup was amazing. Yes, yes, definitely. The voice so too, the voice. Yes. <laughs> Although he kind of just, Angelique loses control of him. Yeah, he goes off point. his leash. He goes off his leash, yeah. About and, the time they get married, he goes off his leash. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then she, he's, he's out of the picture, but then we'll see him again a couple of more times in the series he'll show up during mm-hmm. barnabas's mock trial he was there that's he was right the first witness that's right called. that's right yes yep and then he's going to show up in 1897 in one episode okay. too like just like oh it's jeremiah's ghost so when trask shows up he uh you know exorcises vicky does this grand speech she's she's discovered she's arrested and this is where vicky meets peter bradford so thoughts on that on the vicky and peter bradford oh my god i am so team vicky and peter bradford i love oh okay vicky. Although I like, I do think it's funny that Peter and actually later as Jeff Clark, he'll do the same thing that he goes from like tortured declaration to shrieking like a banshee in like two seconds. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Roger Davis. I don't know why he keeps doing that, but he keeps doing it. Yeah. That's like, I'm one of these people, like I'm a romantic at heart, but I hate the fact that I'm a romantic. So Mm -hmm. I really try and put a lid on it. But for Mm -hmm. some reason, just Peter and Vicky, I just can't. I love him. Oh, well, it's the, it's the, 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 you know, the, there is, it's such a romantic thing. You know, she's, she meets Peter Bradford, who's, uh, uh, works at the jail. He's one, he's a young, uh, young, upstart lawyer you know and he's yeah. but he and he's like a good guy he yeah. does things like out of principle he can't be bribed he can't be bullied he's like no this is what's right this is mm-hmm. what i'm gonna do mm-hmm. and i really like that too yeah, I, I really like Vicky and Peter Bradford, too. I know a lot of people don't. A lot of people like uh, uh, Vicky and Burke or Vicky and Frank Garner, but or mm. Vicky and um, maybe Barnabas Vicky and Barnabas, which I, yeah. I don't like at all. That's like, no, no, no. He's too. That's weird. Uh, yeah. But <laughs> but Vicky and uh, Peter Bradford, I like I Jeff Clark. I had some trouble with at times because I think because of his situation, he was so didn't remember who he was. He was forced yeah. to dig up graves for Lang. He's forced into helping with the experiments and he's uh you know angelique you know does a number on him too so it's like jeff clark is all kind of he he kind of gets shouty a lot um i found because for me like like looking when he becomes jeff clark like in the beginning it's kind of nice yeah and then when people start screwing with him he starts becoming more like burke 
Yes. And he gets yeah. really pushy and he gets yeah. really like, because one of the things I really dislike about Burke is how much he bullies Vicky mm-hmm. and Jeff yeah. starts doing that in yeah. the same way. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, it's true. I, I think he'll come back around, you know, when we see more yeah. of later on, but yeah, it's, I think it's a nice, cause she's, she, you know, she just lost Burke in the plane crash and mm-hmm. she's telling Peter about it and they develop this bond. And I think it's a great dynamic that's happening there between the two of them. And then- you know what it is? Mm-hmm. It's pure. All the other relationships on the show are screwed up and twisted and they're messing with each other. But no, Vicky and Peter just love each other. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Uh, a lot of the other relationships on Dark Shadows are very toxic relationships uh, with really damaged, you know, individuals who are obsessive, extremely obsessive or, or jealous or vengeful. Yeah. And Vicky and Peter are, there's an innocence about that, which yeah. is nice Appealing. to see. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you. Yeah, definitely. Um, so of course it's Dark Shadows. There can never be a happy ending. Of <laughs> Dark course, Shadows. Yeah. Of so course. We're, we're heading. We in- don't watch for happy endings. No, of course not. We watch for the for the tragedy but the, yes. oh oh no what's what's gonna happen <laughs> now uh so ben who gets arrested at one point because he's gets caught in uh abigail's room i think he's stealing something for angelique to use in a spell yeah, spell, um, component. yeah spell component he's caught doing that so he's he gets in trouble ben gets in trouble so barnabas starts to suspect angelique she casts the spell with the cards yes. which sends vicky running out of the house trask is doing this exorcism vicky runs out of the house barnabas overhears angelique casting this spell. So Barnabas starts to suspect that Angelique is the witch, but he isn't sure. So he confronts Ben and he, Ben of course is under a spell himself. If he he can't say Angelique's name, he'll lose his voice. He won't be able to speak. So of course, since Barnabas, I love this, Barnabas taught him to write. So he says, write her the initial and the dust on the barrel. And he first makes that V and it's like, it's all oh, Victoria. Then he, oh, it's so cool. Yeah. And he does it was, the, yeah, it was the line. So perfectly <laughs> done. Yeah. Yeah. With the A, A for mm. Angelique. Bam. Oh, it's so cool. And then Barnabas knows. So, of course, then Barnabas tries to do away with Angelique. Uh, he tries to poison her. Then he tries with a dagger, as, as I recall, you know, with a knife. And she. He was going to stab her in the bed. And that's then right. by that point, she realized what he was doing. So she yes, was standing by the right. door. And that's a great scene, too. I remember that yeah. scene vividly from where he lifts the knife and she's like, she raises her hand. She and puts his, her hand up and yep. He can't move his hand. I was like, oh, that is so cool. That is just like, she's such an iconic, like, witch character. You know, it's like when I think witch, like a lot of people think Wicked Witch of the West from Wizard of Oz. I think Angelique because she's, yeah, no. she's a great it's all character. About Angelique, yeah. yeah. And so we go into uh, finally Barnabas shoots her. Uh, she thinks she's dying. She, what she believes are her dying words. She places the iconic curse on Barnabas and yep. the bat, bat flies in through the window and bites Barnabas. Of course, he dies. She recovers. She's like, but the, what? Oh crap, what have I done? <laughs> what have I done? Uh, so, and she can't remove the curse at this point. Barnabas dies. Angelique has been carve a stake, a wooden sharpen, a wooden stake. Yeah. And from a holly tree. From a holly tree. And she says he's going to return. And when he does, he'll do terrible things, you know. Yeah. Uh, and she and this is the first time the word vampire is used in the in the series. Like yep. and Angelique says the V word final vampire. Yeah. Like, we've seen all the fangs up until this point, but we've never <laughs> said the word. We've never said the word. Yeah. So and so they go to the mausoleum and Barnabas rises as a vampire and kills Angelique, or so so we think. So now the tragedies are just starting to pile up now. I love this dynamic with Ben and Barnabas too, because Barnabas, mm-hmm. Ben 
remembers Barnabas as a friend, and Barnabas never puts Ben uh, under his power. He's not in Barnabas's thrall, but he was his friend, and he wants him to hold on to that last tread of humanity, you know, because Barnabas has now become a predator, you know, he's, uh, and of course, he turns his attentions back to Josette. We have the famous scene where she jumps off Widow's Hill and, uh, you know. Which, okay, I know everybody talks about because like I think on a meta level from like a pop culture standpoint the most important episode in the show is the introduction of Barnabas Mm -hmm. but within the scope of the story the most important episode is the one where Josette goes over the cliff yes explain because elaborate yeah Josette going over the cliff was seriously it was mentioned I think it was like the second episode it was the first or second episode Mm -hmm. we've known about Josette going over the cliff before Barnabas was a, a twinkle in Dan Curtis's eye yeah, yeah. So to to actually have, and that is the tragedy that sort of orig, originates all the other tragedies. Because you yeah. can say that like, you know, because the, the curse is important, obviously, but there was so much other stuff leading up to that. And then like, this, it's like we were oh. waiting for that moment to see Josette oh, go yeah. over the cliff. Yeah. That's what we were expecting. When I saw it the first time, it was just like, it was just like, oh my God, because I knew it was coming. You know what's coming. Yeah. And then it actually happens and you're like, oh. Yeah. There it is. They, they this pay, is the payoff. The payoff. Yeah. They promise it all along for, they've been promising it for, for since 1966, you know, yep. I mean, they, they've been mentioning it all along. And then Barnabas of course has that famous monologue during the thunderstorm where he's talking to uh, Vicky and Carolyn about what happened. And you just, you always hear about Josette's suicide, you know? So yeah. definitely I mean, this, it was the, it was like the you know curses and everything else aside it was like within the scope of the story the pivotal moment of everything yeah definitely and you see it in um i don't know how you feel about it but i am not a fan of the burton movie i there are a few things i like about it here and there uh that i can pick out that i mentioned in the in the episode i think Mm -hmm. with with ansel like oh there are a few things i like here and there but um i thought the beginning was pretty good uh and it was interesting seeing josette go over although i i kind of thought it was a cop-out having angelique just like kind of take control of her and having her just like walk herself off the cliff i think it's that was an absolute cop-out yeah because it's more tragic to have her just tear herself away from like show her what she's going to be what and she angelique was right actually it's like this is what barnabas is going to do to you exactly it, that actually is what was going to happen to her <laughs> and it's a discussion we can have later if we have time yeah. and if you want about because yeah. that moment like watching mm-hmm. that moment again like mm-hmm. it made me look back over the entire relationship and be all like did josette actually love barnabas i'm not entirely convinced she did after watching that again i'm like i don't know maybe i don't know i think <laughs> I think she did, but I think that's such a, a gruesome thing to to see. You're going to be one of the the living dead. Uh, you know, this is what your yeah. this is what it, your life is going to be. You are going to become a predator and murderer who is going to feed on the blood of the living. And showing her that image, I, I imagine that was probably you know a traumatic thing to see. Um, so I think she did love Barnabas, but I think she was horrified to the point where she she couldn't deal with it, you know, and through yeah. herself would rather de- kill herself than, than become that. So now Angelique, of course, she continues to, you know, yeah. is, do you think Angelique genuinely loves Barnabas or do you think it's an obsession or is it both? Is it both love and well, obsession? <laughs> I think cause part of it. Okay. And this is going to get a, a little off topic here. Part of it is I think kind of people in general don't quite understand how to feel and express love. Mm -hmm. 
So things like being obsessive, we're, we're, we're kind of told that, no, yeah, that's what love is. So if you do that, it, it's, it's normal. It's okay. And I don't, like, I think maybe she loved Barnabas and she didn't quite know how to express it. Or maybe mm-hmm. she thought she loved Barnabas and that's how you show it. Mm-hmm. I, I think she thinks, she thought she loved Barnabas, is I kind of think the answer to that. But maybe it's, she didn't know how to show it. Yeah, I think that's and again, a good. She, yeah, she's she's pretty she's pretty unstable anyway. I think she, no, oh, yeah, oh see. she's unstable, oh big time. <laughs> she's, she's there is a I mean uh, the uh, obsession is is sort of a you know a staple of the gothic anyway. You yeah. know we see obsessed characters. Barnabas is also obsessed, especially Absolutely. after he becomes a vampire. You know he summons Josette back from the grave, and we get the scene where she lifts her veil, and and she's all messed up under there so but ultimately i think barnabas also loves angelique underneath all of that you know resentment and hatred that develops from that from what took place in 1795 i actually think barnabas actually has at least a stronger connection to angelique um in in a a book i read about voodoo they were talking about how love and hate are two sides of the same coin yeah you yeah. can't have one without the other so the fact that he hates angelique as much as he does mm-hmm. means that he either still does or at some point loved her that much yeah there's because you yeah. don't have that depth of feeling without mm-hmm. the other side too yeah oh and absolutely. he never went like he got obsessed with josette but it's also because i think we kind of come to find out through the maggie evans thing and through the vicky winters thing that he is in love with an ideal not a woman yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But with Angelique, no, nope, she's yeah. the one I hate. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. It's like, no, that's that's. There's a lot think- of a lot of passion there. Yeah, yeah. And it's you know channeled. Well, it's inter- I'm not going to spoil later in the series. I don't know how much you you know about later on, but mm-hmm. uh, uh, there's some more that develops there as well. There's some oh, interesting. The, is it the the Bramwell thing? Prior to Bramwell, pre okay. right before Bramwell, the 1840s stuff. Okay. Uh, yeah. Well, we'll save that for maybe yeah, later. later. <laughs> uh, um, so, okay. So death and tragedy ensue. Sarah dies. Sarah is, uh, you know, she, she sees Barnabas out the window and she runs out and she dies of uh, exposure, exposure, yeah. exposure. And that's such a sad scene. Sarah always makes me cry like that. Just that, that child, the, that when she was a ghost too, when she confronted yeah. Barnabas, but then when she dies in Barnabas's arms and there's this, you know, the vampire is like weeping over his dead sis, little sister. I was like, Oh yeah. my God, that's so sad. That's such was, a, and, yeah. And you hear the recorder, the Robert Colbert's you know, that's my feeling, yeah. you know, it's like, oh my God. Oh, yeah. my heart is breaking. Oh, it's horrible. <laughs> so sad. <laughs> so sad. So, that's 1795. So sad. It's like yeah. so awesome, but it's like so sad. Um, and then, so uh, Joshua finds out that Barnabas uh, is, is a vampire. Oh my God. Oh Great my God. That's like the best scene in the entire 1795 plot. Oh my plot. God, like, so good. Oh my God, yeah. they're both just firing on all cylinders and they're totally into it. And it was, oh my God, it was so good. Oh, it was fantastic. Joshua shoots Barnabas and doesn't die and says, why, why? Because I am a vampire. You know, it's just and it's yeah. such a great confrontation between the two of them because Bar- Joshua is used to controlling everybody and imposing his will on other people yeah. and, and his family and being super concerned about appearances, w- appearances. And now 
his son is one of the undead and yeah. he and can't this process is, this. Yeah. This is the moment where the character of Joshua is broken. Yes, this exactly. This is his villain breaking moment. Yep. Perfect. Perfect. Nailed it. Yes, absolutely. And Joshua changes. In fact, jo- now Joshua, after this, Joshua and Ben form a yep. bond. Jo- who Ben hated jo- when Angelique turned Joshua into a cat. Uh, which was yeah. fun, was a lot of fun. Uh, ben had the was chasing him with an axe. Yeah. I'm gonna kill the cat. I'm gonna kill the cat. I'm gonna kill the cat. I'm gonna kill the cat, kill the cat because Joshua was horrible to to yeah. Ben. Uh, and now they're like you know they're bonded by tragedy uh, by what what happened here you know to 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 Barnabas. So uh, Joshua calls upon uh, Bathia Mapes. We fought, we get uh, was it I forgot who who summoned her Bathia Bathia. It was Mapes. the um, the Countess. Oh yes, I'm gonna, you're I'm right. I'm gonna send out the psychic vibes, and then whoever comes will help us. That's right. It was the countess who who, who dabbles in the in the occult and enjoys yeah. the enjoys the tarot cards, uh, as which, Trask massively disapproves of. Yes, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but she's apparently exempt from being, you know, put on trial for witchcraft, probably because she's rich, you know, too. Hey, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, so she can she can she just gets like the finger waved at her, you know. That's it. Yeah. Uh, so she calls, uh, she sends out the psychic vibes, Bathia Mapes shows up and, uh, Who is life goals for me, by the way, I want to be the person who's like, I'm going to send out the psychic vibes and then oh, okay. the weirdo occult person will show up. Yes. Yes. That's, that's what I want to do with my life. <laughs> When I grow up, so. Yes. Oh, awesome. And so they change. I think that is a great goal to aspire to. I admire your goals here. So she shows she's summoned to remove the curse, which does not go well on on many levels. It does not go well. Barnabas does not. You know, he's. I don't. Yeah. I, it was kind of crazy. And then Angelique, you know, burns up Bathia Mapes. For, I know, but there's that moment. Cause I love that moment where they, they try the first time and then Bathia's like, okay, I'm out of my league. I'm leaving. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. yes, you're out of your league. Cause it's yeah. Angelique. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. That was a crazy scene too. As Barnabas was, was with the fangs and like, and saying, you know, he sees the, what will happen, you know, the, yeah. the uh, death and blood running in the streets and only, like, Oh, this is horrifying, you know? Uh, so she's dispatched. Then Trask, Barnabas sets his sights on Trask. The witchcraft trial is progressing. Nathan Forbes testifies against Vicky, totally traitor, which I think, you know, as you mentioned early on, he's just, he's so much fun to watch, but he's such, a, such a jerk. Uh, so yeah. Trask says, you know, if you want to, because oh, of course we didn't even mention Millicent and Daniel, other oh Collins. My God, Millicent, How right? could we not talk about Millicent? And Nancy she, Barrett having the time of her life. Oh my God. She, totally. Right. She's such a great actress and oh my God. so good. Uh, and she's, every character she plays is delightful to to watch i love and what i love most about millicent is that when she goes crazy she becomes a proto goth girl she's wandering around the cemetery like i'm gonna be buried here and yes the darkness, you see only what you want to see so it's safer and i'm like oh my god that's me when i was 15 yeah awesome awesome <laughs> I identify with that. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah. So we have Millicent who's, of course, Nathan is gaslighting Millicent. 
poor Millicent, you know, in, Nathan, in plot points taken pretty much directly from the movie Gaslight, by the exactly, way. Exactly. Yes. And Dark Shadows is known for lifting storylines from gothic horror stories, but also from other stories as well, because uh, yeah. we had uh, Jerry Lacey's previous character was, uh, you know, Sam Spade, basically. Yeah, was a film noir guy. <laughs> a yeah. film noir guy. Yeah. So we have and the other story that they're going to be lifting from in just a bit, uh, which I was getting to was Trask, where was the cask of Amontillado, was yep. the Edgar Allan mm-hmm. Poe story. You know, Barnabas lures Trask to his doom and another iconic scene walls him up in the mm-hmm. basement of, of the old. Oh, great scene. Barnabas. So, oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, scary. You know, but mm-hmm. uh, and tra- uh, Trask, as awful as Trask was, that's a pretty brutal way to kill. Yeah, somebody. that was pretty harrowing. That was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So we have Forbes, you know, he's he's gaslighting poor Millicent and then he testifies against Vicky. And then, as you pointed out earlier on. Naomi, he tells Naomi, you know, Joshua sort of sequesters Barnabas up in in the tower room and uh, Nathan Forbes tells Naomi to go, go to the tower room. She sees Barnabas biting Millicent. She sees Barnabas biting Millicent. I think it was outdoors. She's biting Millicent. She commits suicide. She kills herself. Uh, Another tragic uh, scene. And she too dies in Barnabas's arms in the tower. Yes. Yes. Oh my man. Yeah. What did you think of all this? Like while this was unfolding, these these tragedies one after the other, like what were your thoughts on these characters that we've sort of come to know kind of getting killed off one by one? I guess we knew it was coming, you know, it was kind yeah. of a- Well, okay. Cause it just seemed, I think the thing with, okay. The writer in my head was like the thing with Forbes needed to be moved up. Okay. Cause pretty much all the Forbes stuff at the end, like I enjoyed it, but it was also like, Okay, stuff is done. Can we get back to 1967? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because it just felt like the, the they're they're kind of dragging stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was it was cool and I liked it. I just feel felt it should have been like moved up and woven in with the vampire stuff. Mm-hmm. If okay. that makes sense. Yeah, it did feel sort of like okay, we need to wrap this up kind of thing. So let's. Yeah. But because one thing, I because in the revival series, I kind of like the way that they streamlined all the vampire stuff where it's like, okay, we're not messing with Vicky or we're not messing with Maggie. It's all Vicky. We're going to mm-hmm. go through this. Here's the beats. Mm-hmm. But what we end up missing that I liked more in the 60s version was the family stuff. Yeah. Because I loved, I mean, like I adore Naomi mm-hmm. and just the, the way she interacts with Joshua, who is basically like a verbally abusive jerk face in the beginning. Right. Right. And she's drinking and everybody's like, well, you're a loser because you're drinking. Not like, hey, maybe we should fix things so you don't have to get drunk to get through the day. And like the interactions and everything like Daniel, I it was nice to see David Hennessy play a character who was an actual human being because yeah. David up until that point was freaking psycho. <laughs> yeah. He really was, especially in the pre-Barnabas episodes. Yeah. I mean, he, was, he literally was, I think, psychopathic. I mean, he yeah. really did some um, pretty horrible stuff. But as Daniel, he cared about his sister. He was mm-hmm. worried about her. He, like, he knew he was going to get some money. He didn't care. He didn't yeah. really want it. He was just like a kid. And again, yeah, I, I love, I loved Forbes. Forbes was definitely a highlight for me. Right. I think... Forbes, he's one of those marvelous characters who, even though he has no supernatural powers, is actually one of the more dangerous characters to the supernatural characters because he can look at them with clear eyes, understand what they are, and say, how can I make this benefit me? 
Right, right. And that yeah. is so dangerous. Right. Because in D&D terms, he's um, neutral evil. Neutral so, evil. Oh, I love I love that you tossed out <laughs> D&D alignment during the he conversation. Will- <laughs> <laughs> this is a first for this podcast. Is that you get a D&D alignment? And I love it. <laughs> because he will do good things. There's points yeah. where he helps Vicky. Yeah. But he's doing it for his own benefit. He's mm-hmm. not doing it to help Vicky. Yeah. So he'll do good things. He'll destroy the monster if it benefits him too. He'll help the monster if it benefits him too. Yeah. What I also love is apparently the writers really liked him because as we move forward after 1795, he keeps popping up. Yeah. People have (laughs) dreams about him and he comes in visions. He's at Barnabas's trial. And like one of the things I love most about the characters is every time he pops up, he always has this moment where he's like, I'm dead. Yo, you can't kill me. I'm dead. Suck it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, oh my God. Takes a, you know, he has the ale, you know, the the, the ale in his hand and he's having a good time. That's one of my best my favorite lines in dark shadows is the dream where he's got the ale and he holds it up and he says to death, the best of all possible worlds. And I'm like, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. You can tell Joel Crothers was having a blast too. Oh my I mean, God. Compared, he was. compared to playing sweet boy next door, Joe playing this character must've been really fun in, yeah. in comparison, you know? So as we move on, then Joshua and Ben chain Barnabas in his coffin. You know, jo- Joshua tells Ben, you know, affix a, a silver cross to the inside lid of the coffin, which we don't see him do, but it, he tells him yeah. to do that. Also, and, I'm pretty sure it's gone. They get to the point where Willie opens the coffin. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because I don't, well, you don't see the inside lid when he opens, because he's opening it from the other side. Yeah. I don't know, but maybe when he lifts it, like it rises up out of Barnabas's, I don't know, maybe yeah. it fell off. It's, it fell into well, the corner I mean, somewhere. This is Willie also. <laughs> So he might've just ripped it off and tried to sell it for. That's true. That, yeah. Metal, so. Good point. Good point. Um, so Barnabas uh, is uh, ultimately, of course, chained in his coffin. We knew this was inevitable. So we see the, the coffin with the chains around it. Yeah. Um, Vicky, now the, the witch trial, uh, she's found guilty. There is no escape for Vicky. Uh, mm-hmm. So she's walked to the gallows, which was also a, a harrowing scene as well. Like, it's like on some level, you're like, you know, okay, they're not going to kill Vicky, but they take it all the way to the, to the yes. news, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so it's really a quite a cool scene, you know, yeah. when you watch that unfold and then bam, there, there she goes. And she's all of a sudden she's back in the present. Poor Phyllis Wick. Oh Phyllis, my God, right? <laughs> poor Phyllis Wick is dispatched you know she's like, yeah. did nothing she's she's been hanged <laughs> yeah exactly uh, yeah yeah, I don't, yeah. Which, apparently they mentioned that would have happened to her anyway because at some point barnabas yeah. says that she got tried for witchcraft and hung anyway yes yeah but still yeah. you're in a yeah. carriage and then boom you're hanging yeah, like yeah, oh, yeah. wait <laughs> that must suck that must suck it would have been was cool. horrible yeah it would have been cool to have her like back as a ghost right yeah. I didn't, <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah. And of course, oh, we didn't mention, of course, Noah Gifford too, who was also, but he was like uh, Nathan's pal who uh, was killed off as well. He was- um, Well, let's be honest. He was a henchman. He was a henchman. <laughs> yes, he was a henchman. Well, this is a sailor. <laughs> there, with a sailor not a lot suit. of friendship there. It was, there was a no, henchman. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, be, yeah. Much better description. Absolutely. <laughs> so closing thoughts, I guess, on this storyline. Anything else you want to add to what we talked about? Um, okay, actually- Mm-hmm. This this might turn into a little more, but I want to ask you on your opinion of this. Okay. Does Sarah have supernatural powers? 
when she's a ghost or a little when she's alive? Both. I think she absolutely has supernatural powers when she's a ghost. When she's alive, I never thought of her as having supernatural powers, but I think she was the one who was the catalyst in Vicky going back in time. She had some power to do that. There's also a scene where she's, I don't know if this was just a mistake, but, or just convenience for the writers, but when Maggie and Sarah leave Wincliffe and they're walking back, Wincliffe is supposed to be like a hundred miles away, I think from, from Collinsport. So Sarah must have used some ghostly power to create some sort of warp in time and space to get her from point A to point B so quickly. And if she does have some power or some connection to a higher power that she's able to call upon, maybe she can cause somebody like Vicky to transcend time to, to see what happens. So I think Sarah has supernatural powers that are above and beyond what a typical ghost on dark shadows is seen to display. I think there's some other force at play that she's maybe is tapped into, you know. I got to thinking about this and okay, so when she's Mm -hmm. a ghost, Mm -hmm. because I'd like Sarah as a ghost is fascinating, just like looking at it from like an occult standpoint, Mm -hmm. because like the typical ghost is in a position that they're in for a reason. They're mm-hmm. connected to an object, they're connected to a person, they're connected to an event. But Sarah seems to be there for a reason, mm-hmm. but she can never quite find out what the reason is. Yeah, There's a yeah. scatterbrainness to what she's doing, like, oh, I need to find my brother, but I can't find my brother. I have yeah. to tell my brother something, but what am I gonna tell him? And Cause like in Japanese folklore, there's a ghost that's kind of, it's basically an astral projection to where when you're sleeping, your spirit goes off and does stuff. And like, I'm, I'm wondering if like Sarah had like extraordinary supernatural powers that essentially she, she saw, or she felt that like Angelique was going to screw with something, something was coming. So she maybe inadvertently reached out for help to our time. Oh, interesting. Like, in the first episode, Vicky walks up or the, of uh, 1795. She walks up to Barnabas and Barnabas is like, you're very nice, but who are you? I don't know you. Why do you know me? Yeah. And then Sarah runs up. And she goes, oh, she's the governess. Yeah. Like yeah. she knows who Vicky's is. And then she whoops out this picture. I drew a picture of her. See, and there's a picture of Vicky with the book. It's true. You're right. Yes, you're right. So it's she like, did draw the picture of her. Yeah. And they, they actually lean into this a little bit in the revival because mm-hmm. that's they, they kind of suggest that. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if, cause she's only nine years old and she wouldn't be able to have like developed this stuff properly yet, mm-hmm. but it almost makes me wonder if in killing Sarah, Angelique didn't inadvertently kill who would have been her greatest enemy. Right. Oh, I love if that. She yeah. has the powers of those powers inadvertently when she's nine years old, when she gets older and develops them. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. I think, I think you're onto something there. And the fact that Sam Hall was one of the writers on the the 91 series and Dan Curtis was the producer on it again, maybe they were pulling from the idea they had originally and, and reinforcing it in the 91 series. I think you're onto something for sure. Cause she did, that was Vicky in the, in the illustration and she did have the book. Like it was clearly Vicky not Phyllis Wick in the drawing. So yeah. And there's just Sarah as a ghost, there was something peculiar about the way she functioned. Yeah. She seemed lost. Like she knew a lot, but she couldn't put all the pieces together. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely very interesting. And of course we never see her again when she tells Barnabas, like you're, I'm not coming back until you relearn this lesson. And then she doesn't, I guess Barnabas didn't learn because she just, she doesn't come back. Uh, so we never well, see okay, her again. again. In the story where I'm at, no, Barnabas hasn't learned. No, no, he has he, no. <laughs> 
he no. hasn't and he still won't. So, yeah. <laughs> so Sarah, there's a reason Sarah didn't come back. They do reference her again late, way later on. Mm-hmm. She's mentioned again, but um, yeah, that's a really interesting question. Um, I have one for you as well. So when Jeff Thompson was on the show and Ansel Farage, I asked them both this. We know Dark Shadows borrowed from a lot of classic horror literature. Are there any stories that you think would have worked in Dark Shadows? Because they, they always say, oh, we ran out of ideas. We used all the classic stories. We were done. I, I disagree with that. Like, I think they were just burned out by the end because of doing yeah. that every no, day. they but were done. Yeah. They were done, definitely. But I think there were plenty more stories they could have pulled from to use in the show. Are there any that come to mind for you that you would have liked to have seen or that you think could have worked in the context of Dark Shadows? Um, okay. So the one of them, actually, okay, talking about the, the Tim Burton movie, mm-hmm. um, I, you know what? I watched it and it is almost a complete blank in my mind, which pretty much tells you how I felt about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, the one thing I did remember is um, towards the end, they deal with the fact that Angelique, would, during the building of Collinwood, mm-hmm. she actually infused the building itself with magic and made herself yeah. a part of the house, which mm-hmm. I thought was a really cool idea. And that actually lends toward, I actually kind of wish they had done something very Hill House oh, in yeah. making... Because what I love about Hill House, because I actually don't think Hill House is haunted. I think Hill House is sentient. It's a lot. I agree. I agree. Hill House had, is alive. Yeah. And then um, one of the other episodes, I can't remember um, which one it was. You talked with someone about how like Collinwood is basically like a hell mouth. Yeah. It was Eric, if, Eric Marshall who had similar ideas about the wood being used to build Collinwood being in, enchanted, you know, and thus yeah. the, the time time fluxes and strange parallel times and things like that. Yeah. Because just what if, what if it's not, what if it's just the house? All Mm -hmm. this stuff comes from the house itself and the house is influencing the people. That could have been fun to play with. Um, Also, again, I've I've just finished the dream curse. Mm -hmm. And for me, the dream curse smacks of J-horror. So oh, I yes. think if yeah. they had gone international because I like I'm watching that and basically Angelique starts to function it as an Onryo, which is the revenge ghost, which is like Sadako and Samara from the ring and Kayako from the grudge movies. Oh, yeah, you're right. So, yeah. And there's like the most famous example of like Japanese horror is uh, called Yotsuya Kaidan, mm-hmm. which is a story about this um, samurai who murders his wife so he can marry somebody else for money. And the wife comes back from the dead and is just not having it. Okay. And it's this epic, massive story of supernatural revenge. And mm-hmm. the thing is, they actually kind of do it. It could have just tweaked it a little bit more mm-hmm. and brought some things mm-hmm. to the forefront and they could have just done that. Yeah. Eric mentioned, um, when you, you mentioned uh, The Dream Curse, he he had mentioned Final Destination, which I have never seen, but he also mentioned another movie, Truth or Dare from 2018, where people like one person has to tell the other person something, otherwise something bad happens to them or, and they have to keep passing it along. This is another movie I have not seen, but the J-horror stuff, like you're right, it definitely smacks me, of that. It smacks of that. Yeah. The Dream Curse is the ring. Yes. Yes. You're right. Do you think that they the, the Dream Curse influenced the ring at all? I don't, do you think, I doubt the creators of the ring knew about the dream curse. Maybe they did. I don't know. I don't think so. Um, mm-hmm. But when I was living in Japan, like, like the little goth people I hung out with had never really heard of Dark Shadows. They'd seen the movies, mm-hmm. um, but they didn't, hadn't done the show. Um, but yeah, although maybe because there is from, I think the seventies, there was a vampire movie, Lake of Dracula. That is really Dark Shadows. 
Oh, really? I haven't seen that one. Okay. Um, it's, it's the last of the bloodthirsty trilogy. Um, and yeah, it's like, cause everybody's like, Oh, it lifted from hammer. I'm like, no, this is dark shadow. So I think some people might've seen it because it's like, it's glaring in Lake mm-hmm. of Dracula. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, you mentioned Anne Rice early in the show. I yeah. mean, she, she was a Dark Shadows fan. Clearly, she, she yeah. used to watch it, you know, and th- you can see that influence in her, in her work. Absolutely. I mean, Interview with the Vampire comes, I mean, that literally happens in the Parallel Time storyline. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Um, Dominique, any closing thoughts on 1795 or Dark Shadows? I think we said everything about 1795. I, I, I would like to just throw out there that, again, where I'm watching in the show right now, Nicholas Blair is my boyfriend. Oh, Nicholas Blair. Awesome. Oh, my God. I love Nicholas Blair so much. Oh, anyway, okay. That's there, okay. There, right? where, where, where are you? Oh, sorry. The, the dream crush just... Let me ask you this. Okay. Mm-hmm. This is a debate in the fandom. Okay. The prevailing theory about Nicholas Blair, which they dance around in, in the show, but they never really outright confirm it, is that he is a, a, a warlock, a powerful warlock. Mm-hmm. There is another theory, however, that he's a demon, like uh, in, uh, he's some type of demon. Uh, and he does certainly have that devilish look. So what's your take on Nicholas Blair? Do you think he's, he's a demon? A, he's a demon. You think so? Yes. Yeah. I didn't even know that, that was a that was a. I didn't know that was a debate. I'm yeah. I'm totally team demon. I've the, just been uh, assuming. Um, he, he, it's the powers he displays. Yeah. They just seem too unlimited. Okay. Yeah. He's very. Yeah. He is very he's, powerful. He's and yeah. all the mark. Well, there was an article in the '60s. Uh, it was the title. Of the article was "Get Hip to the Warlock," and they interview uh, they interview Humphrey Elenistrato, and he talks about warlocks in the article and in the marketing material. He's always referred to as Warlock Nicholas Blair, but in the show itself, he they never actually call him that, and he does look like a devil he has that classic devilish look so it's like he could i guess yeah. it could go either way but i think it also I, seems I don't know. to me that it's he's a- just a little too close to satan mm-hmm. he's just a <laughs> yeah. little yeah. like like a, a regular warlock wouldn't be that close to satan and it's also a- why would angelique make a deal with another warlock right right true uh i i don't know i it's it's i go back and forth on it because they do. There is a scene where Vicky outright calls him out and says, I know you're not human. And he says, well, because Cassandra is a witch, therefore I'm a warlock. Right. And she mm-hmm. says, yeah, she says, yes. And he just kind of smiles and kind of jokes yeah. about it. So it's like there. I don't know. It's it's demons lie, though. That's true. That is true. I want I'm going to throw this out to the listeners, mm-hmm. whoever's listening right now. What are your, what's your, we didn't get to the Nic- to the Adam, Nicholas Blair, Cassandra storyline yet, but because then I can talk about it when we get to this uh, storyline. Do you think Nicholas Blair is a warlock or do you think he is a demon? Write to me at terror at Collinwood at gmail.com and let me know your thoughts and why. And when we talk about the storyline the, the, with Nicholas Blair, I'll bring it up then. Wonderful. Well, Dominique, it was an absolute pleasure to have you here on the show i'm so yes, glad thank you for having me it was so fun oh awesome i'm so glad we were able to to geek out about dark shadows and uh and talk about it, it was a, it was a blast uh you had some really excellent insights that are like wow that's really cool about sarah like that whole sarah had powers even when she was a little kid like a latent powers that's a really cool idea tell our listeners where they can find out anything coming up for you on your on your blog or on your etsy store 
2020 was a rough year, um, yeah, so I haven't yeah. been very productive. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's going to be some stuff coming up um, on the House of Silent Graves soon. I, I've kind of made a decision, but I'm not going to say anything yet because it could change. So um, look me up on Facebook, uh, Dominique Lampsies, because any announcements about that will be there. Um, and I should hopefully we'll be getting back into the blog soon um, with the Angered Pet Files again. Um, yes, I absolutely worship and adore Ingrid Pitt. So that's, <laughs> wonderful. that's nowhere near the end. Ingrid Pitt is wonderful. Yes. <laughs> Everyone. I, I, I would say, you know, at least you've got to watch The Wicker Man for sure. And The House That Dripped Blood for sure. Like the House those, That Dripped Blood, yes. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> her, her, absolutely. And, her and John Pertwee John together. John Pertwee. Yes. Oh, oh so They're much gold. fun. So much fun. Uh, wonderful. All right. Well, Thank you so much for listening, folks. Um, this is going to be, uh, I'm going to have one more episode after this one, and then I am moving. So I'm going to be taking a break until I get my new setup at my new place. Um, so you'll have one more episode after this one, and then there's going to be uh, a break, but I will definitely be back in Collinsport soon. Also, thank you to Mario for sending in uh, the closing line I put on Facebook for people to vote and uh there were there were two that were neck and neck so i i will end up using both of them i guess uh but today i will just use mario's terror at collinwood is a penny dreadful production